it's it's not a pretty thing, guys, but you know what? It has to be done. You got to rip the band-aid off at some point. And just before we get started, remember, guys, if you're watching on YouTube, Bodog promo or link in the bio, sign up. We will match up to $400 on your first deposit. But anyway, McGarvin, I have one simple question to ask you, and that is uh, not what's going on in New England because that's the that, that's just can wait. Um, but what's going on with our little rivals in uh, Buffalo, New York? Holy cow! Yeah, they're in um, they're in a tough spot. I know that uh, you know the general consensus is that their season is over, right? Five and five season's over. Mm-hmm. I, I personally don't think so. I think five and five is. Uh, perfectly viable seven games to go. You can, you know, you can get yourself to, you know, 10 wins. And I think that's probably enough to get into the playoffs, but they look the way people told me they were going to look right. All summer, everyone's like, Oh, their window shut their window shut. And I'm like, I don't really know if I buy that. They still have Josh Allen. They still have Stefan Diggs. You know, they have that defense. They went out and then they drafted Dalton Kincaid. So I'm like, no, their, their window's not shut. Um, But they don't look very good right now. Right. And I know that they fired, um, They fired their OC, uh, you know, Ken Dorsey. And, you know, people are like, oh, that's going to fix it. But I don't know. I don't know that I've ever seen a team fire their, you know, offensive coordinator or even a defensive coordinator for that matter in the middle of the year and, you know, drastically turn it around. It's not like they're going to install a new offense or anything like that. It's just going to be a new guy, you know, heading heading the operation. And that new guy is Joe Brady, who had didn't do shit in Carolina Had the one year with Joe Burrow and L- at LSU and what his, uh, was that 20, uh, his 2019 year and, you know, didn't really show much <clears throat> beyond that. So I don't know if I necessarily buy it. I think there, there are bigger issues over there than, you know, just who's coordinating the offense. It just doesn't look right. Um, and there was that, you know, palpable frustration over the summer with Stefan Diggs. And I kind of, you know, chalked it up. It's like, yeah, whatever he'll, you know, He'll be back in the building by September. Everything will be fine. But I I don't know that, you know, everything is, is fine. Everything was resolved. I, I think that Cincinnati loss kind of broke the team in a really weird way. Um, and it's not as drastic as it, you know, wasn't in the Super Bowl. It kind of reminds me of how Seattle fell off a cliff after they lost the Super Bowl to the Patriots, where like there was one decision, something happened, and like everyone that started with the finger pointing kind of feels like Buffalo's kind of going through the same thing right now. Um, I have a better one for you about that, like how comparing Seattle's uh run, non-run on the one yard line, <laughs> which the memory of it will always be ingrained in me because I blacked out and took me a couple seconds to realize that he intercepted it, then I lost my yeah. mind. Um but the 13 second game. Yes. Yeah. I, if, I want to go more to that because I feel like ever since then, I know, look, there was the Bills fans going, oh, but we didn't win the coin toss. We didn't do this. Kind of like in 2018, how everyone was like, oh, but Patrick Mahomes didn't get the ball in overtime. And the one thing I like yeah. to remind people is, is that yeah. Tom Brady converted three third and longs in that overtime. Yep. Three one third of the games. Yeah. Yeah. So I look at the 13 second thing where I'm just like, if that doesn't happen, I don't know if the Bills necessarily win, but. It definitely changed the complexion of the dynasty. It also doesn't help that I think Von Miller's cooked now. So, oh my gosh, yeah, what's yeah. up with that? Yeah. I know, you know, I know he's coming back from the injury, but he keeps saying he's fine. Um, and if this is what he looks like, fine, it's it's over. Yeah, like it's one of those things where, look, you're older, you're not what you once were. If this was like 2016 or 17, I'd be like, okay, gets a pass. You know, like the year he won Super Bowl MVP and he was one of the best defenders in the league. But now it's kind of like back nine of the career to where it's like kind of like Dante Hightower after the COVID year where it's like, he's not the same. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think that's fair. Um, and I don't think it's only Von Miller. I think that, you know, everyone expected Greg Rousseau to take a huge step. And I know he's kind of been in and out of the lineup with, uh, with injuries himself. Uh, I haven't seen that big step. I haven't seen it out of Leonard Floyd. I think it's so funny. They went out and got the exact same pass rush that the Bengals had when they won the Super uh, that the Rams had yeah. when, when they won the Super Bowl. Uh, and they're not getting anything out of it. They, they're basically at Oliver or bust. Um, I think they miss Terrell Edmonds or Tremaine Edmonds, pardon, yeah. uh, more than uh, any of us, expected i know that you know their uh, bernard their replacement has been pretty good um i just don't know that that linebacking unit scares me in any way obviously matt malone matt milano going down really changes how that looks and then the back end the the secondary i love micah hyde i love jordan poyer they're my uh two favorite safeties in the league outside of new england and i just haven't seen it from them this year um, i'm sure it, you know they can turn it on but they're being used in in slightly different ways right we have yeah. jordan poyer playing a lot more in the slot which obviously he's he's very adept at doing he's he's done it before um i just i it doesn't look great i know they're playing taylor at more as that deep safety so it's like taylor at micah hyde and then you bring jordan poyer and you play him inside um and it just doesn't look right i think taylor rap has been a, a step slow on a, on a on a few too many plays and then their quarterback situation i know you, they lost trey white but kair elam you know not panning out to this point. Don't want to use the B word just yet, but the, you know him not panning out to this point looks really bad. Christian Benford is in and out of the lineup. I know he's hurt right now. So you have you know Dane Jackson out there playing corner, and he's a good corner, but, I mean, he's fine. Uh, Taron Johnson has taken a step back. He was one of the best slot defenders in the league last year. This year, not so much. And it just – you go out, you get Roswell Douglas – who, I don't know, he's a streaky player. He's like kind yeah. of Kyle Arrington as far as I'm concerned. He'll string <laughs> together like three great games and then like – be trash for four. He's a streaky player. So I just, I don't know. I think they need to get hot and get on a run. Um, but I just don't see how that's going to happen. I don't either. But you know what I do see happening? I see the third man on the podcast joining us. Everyone's favorite. What goes on? He covers the Patriots, the Ravens, and the Bears. Kyrie Thompson is back. How are you doing tonight, my man? Doing all right. Watching this game right now on Prime <laughs> Vision. Oh, Lamar. Oh, well, they're going to pass interference out of that one. All right. Uh, okay, fine. I guess that works out. But uh, how y'all doing? Oh, we're doing good. We're just we're before we got into like the nitty gritty and the very disappointing. We were talking about Buffalo just because I feel like it's the relevant topic right now of this team that was supposed to be great. That's you know it's not going to where everyone thought it would go. And I think yeah, I heard a little bit of the conversation you're having about kind of the the, the nitty gritty. Right yeah. of you know players that you know, were expected to step up and take a step back. When you're in a Super Bowl window, when you have the kind of quarterback that you have in Josh Allen, right, and you got close in in that third season where he breaks out, and you and you got close before you went ahead and paid him all the money. That, that's really the challenge, right? Because in order to keep on winning with a highly paid quarterback. You need to hit in the draft. You need to hit on your on your cheap commodities and and make sure you're developing them. Flip, you know, whomever you're not going to keep for draft picks. And, and it's that's why it was what the Patriots did for so long. It's so unprecedented, right? To have 20 years of success with that. And by the way, have a lot of that success without really hitting on a ton of first round picks after a while. I think they had a de- they had a decent run there in the late 2000s, but as of right now, the last first round pick 
to get a second contract with this team was Dante Hightower back in 2012. That's a, and, and yes, I, I know that they were winning a lot. And so a lot of, they were trading out of the first round a good amount, or, um, you know, sometimes they get the like guy at number 32 overall, like Nikhil Harry, but still the talent evaluation has not been what it's needed to be. And that, that 2022 draft <laughs> at some, it, it feels like we're, we're heading towards a point where Cole strange is going to be the only guy left on the team here soon. <laughs> and that's, that's a pick that everyone despised at the time when it was made. So it's, it's really difficult to win consistently in today's NFL landscape, unless you've got that quarterback that is the X factor, the eraser, the Patrick Mahomes, the guy that you can go ahead and you can trade Tyreek Hill and you can win a Super Bowl the, the next season because you've got Patrick Mahomes. The Bill, uh, Josh Allen's that he's got that kind of talent, but he's also always had it in his game to make baffling decisions, to turn the ball over. Have that, like this isn't new stuff, right? Yeah. Like people are like, oh yeah, does Josh Allen have a turnover problem? He he has been somewhat contained, right? During during this stretch where he's been an ascending player, but it was always within him. And the rest of the team has has not been good enough, and and, and the coaching has not been good enough to cover up for all of that. Because if you remember that second season when he started to show improvement at you know towards the end of the year as, as it went on and they made the playoffs when he was a second year player that defense was outstanding and the defense was good the next year but you've seen stagnation from that unit and i feel like perhaps more so than the bills offense and josh allen and what have you the the bills defense not being elite anymore that has become the difference in this team the other thing I want to say about the playoffs, too, is that if you look at who Josh has beaten in the playoffs and at the quarterback position, it's not really a who's who. It's Phillip Rivers, who they actually barely beat, Tyler Huntley, because Lamar got hurt, Mac Jones in what I call their probably their best game, even though it pains me to say that, and then Skylar Thompson last year. So Josh still hasn't beaten that guy. You know how Tom Brady went in year after year, Ben Roethlisberger, Peyton Manning. Philip Rivers, he's like beaten, beaten the, all the guys to get there. Josh hasn't done that yet, so I'm just kind of waiting for that for him. But at the same time, too, I'll say this right now with Josh, because we're saying we were saying earlier how like losing Tremaine Edmonds to your Chicago Bears has hurt them on the linebacking court. It also hurt them next year when Gabe Davis goes to Atlanta and is used more than B. John Robinson is. So it's just a matter of offensively and defensively, it's not there, and the OC changed this late in the season. It just more or less seems like a desperation move to where it should have been the special teams guy probably gone and not the offensive coordinator because I don't know how you leave 12 men on the field when you practice that all week. That's a situation you prepare for. We saw it happen a record amount of times this week. I think four or five games came down to the last kick. So they've got to get their act together because I still have been saying this for a bit now. I think this is a now or never season for the Buffalo Bills. I mean, it probably has been. I, I think yeah. the reason unfairly that Ken Dorsey goes here is because you were gifted this, you know, elite quarterback prospect and he has regressed a little, not, not necessarily like he's horrible now, but you haven't unlocked the fullest potential of him. And that was Josh Allen's guy. Right. Yeah. He, 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 he likes him. He stumped for him to, to get the job and to keep him around. And 
I think that that's probably part of it. It's like, okay, we stuck with you. Where's where are the results? And they haven't, it's not, it's, again, it's not like Josh Allen's been bad. He just hasn't quite been this transcendent figure that I think a lot of us kind of thought that he was going to, to become. I, I will say this. I, I, I've never really bought into the idea of Josh Allen hasn't beaten uh, you know, or Josh Allen has beaten these quarterbacks or has not beaten these quarterbacks. Like this, this is, this is as always a team. Sport. We, we do this and, and, and we, and, and like, we, we do this a lot. We, we all kind of have a way of doing this because in the end, right. We, we look at the quarterback position as the most important position out there. They're the stars. They're the leaders. Right. And Again, it's like when you look at the the Kansas City game, it, it wasn't Josh Allen's fault they didn't win that game. <laughs> <laughs> that that was one of the most epic games of all time. He was he was balling and and dueling, going going toe to toe with Patrick Mahomes, and in the end, your defense got to get a stop, right? And and so, I I guess I I feel a certain kind of way about that, but ultimately, right? Again, it, it goes to the broader picture of what the Buffalo Bills are and the hump that they haven't gotten over. Because if you're that, if you're a Super Bowl contender, you got to beat you got to beat those teams eventually. Patrick Mahomes ain't going nowhere. He's gonna be there for a while. So if you want if you want to win a Super Bowl, that's where the road goes through. Simple as that. Yeah, and I think um, as much as especially as Patriots fans, I know that a lot of people are like, "Well, he has all these weapons," um, but when you look at <clears throat> the offense. Uh, the offensive pieces they have over there, it really is only Stefan, you know, Stefan Diggs and, and, um, Donkey. I obviously, Davis, you know, I really like, I really like, um, Dawson Knox quite a bit, but I think I'm in the minority on that because every, uh, at the end of every primetime game, their Bills fans just shitting on him. And I'm like, I don't know, I thought he was a pretty good player. I thought he was all right. Um, but <clears throat> I will say a player I do not like over there is Gabe Davis. I, I, I think a lot of lies were told on him, um, after his, uh, his huge game against Kansas City. Right. They uh, they were like, oh, he's going to, you know, he's going to be the next guy. Don't worry. We're all set at receiver. Um, and he's mostly been invisible. He has like, you know, two or three uh, big catches. Uh, yeah, that's that's OK. It happens. Um, he has like two or three big catches in meaningless games. And, you know, the stats look good. But I he is just a player that I don't think you put out there and you're like, all right, you can consistently go out there and beat the second corner. And the fact that he can't do that, even though Stefan Diggs is drawing double coverages, even though he's drawing the brackets, he's drawing the number one corner, to have your second receiver not be able to beat his man on a consistent basis, it really puts your offense in the bind, especially when your third man up at this point is Khalil Shakir. And I like him. I just don't know that he's ready right now, and they need him to be ready right now. So it's just a tough offense. Rashad Bateman touchdown. Um, it's just a tough situation over there. And so I like them going out and getting Dalton Kincaid. I liked that they were relying on the run game early. It just – something is off about the way they, they, they're they operating offensively in Buffalo. Um, and it's just tough because you see, you see the names, and everyone's like, oh, this is going to be a great team. And then you watch the games, and you're like, yeah, you have eight points, and it's the third quarter. What's, what's, uh, what's the deal there? <laughs> like, and, and some of it is a focus <laughs> issue too, the, the, the fumbles, the turnovers, the penalties, right? I, <clears throat> I never seen nothing like James Cook – Busting out of what should have been a touchdown, fumbling the ball, dribbling it right to himself, and still going and picking up like like twenty five plus yards. That should have been a touchdown. He doesn't fumble sure. that ball. Sure. He ain't getting caught. And again, but the rest of the time when he wasn't fumbling the ball, he looked like a freaking superstar. Yeah. Right? They could they couldn't stop that man for nothing. 
but again, it's like, can you rely on a on on the on the run game? Like, I mean, he hasn't really been a fumbler in his career, no. right? But it's like you if you could have just relied on that run game, or if you had relied on the run game the entire time, the way that James Cook was running, maybe you don't lose that game. But because you benched him because he fumbled, and then he fumbles later, and you're thinking to yourself, like, I gotta keep feeding this guy the ball, but what the hell's about to happen if I do? Right. So it's 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 not at all just Josh Allen, right? And it's not all Ken Dorsey. But as we see with offenses around the league, when the unit is bad, it's usually not just about one guy. It's about several, unless you're talking about the New York Jets and it's just a Zach Wilson thing because he sucks. Yeah. Well, their O line is also terrible, so I, I I get that part as well. But yeah, uh, yeah it, it, it's true. But, but listen, listen. Sad. Let let the hate flow through me, okay, bro. <laughs> Look, you're not going to hear any you know, complaints from me. Never believed in uh, Zach Wilson even coming out. I thought he was the likeliest of the five, the big five quarterbacks to bust, and I thought Trey oh, Lance I, would be the second. I, oh, I yeah. We, uh, we kind of nailed those. Yeah, we, we, call, we called that right off the bat. That was easy. Oh, um, easy money. And it was one throw at his pro day, and everyone was just like, oh, my God, we have to have him. But why? But That's the thing that kills me, man, is like what – and, and and this is part of what quarterback evaluation I think has has become, where now people are starting to think about that more. Like, oh yeah, great, we saw throw it as pro day, it's wonderful. But does the guy play in structure in college? Because I think the Zach Wilson rule has has really started to to get guys thinking about that. Like, so Caleb Williams, does yeah. he play in structure? Right. He makes incredible plays outside of the. He's okay. Look, Caleb Williams is a much better quarterback prospect than yeah. Zach Wilson. Let's let's get let's get that out the way right now. But he doesn't always play with the structure that he should, and yeah. he relies on the fact that he's freaking incredible outside of the pocket, and and, he, and he's a wizard. But when you put pressure on him and you force him to get the ball out on time every single time, it's not like he can't get the ball out on time. He absolutely can. But when you're making him do it every single time or you're putting pressure on him and you're and you're dictating the terms to him, that's where things get a little bit difficult for a guy like Caleb Williams. And I think people are starting to think about that a bit more now and starting to think like maybe Drake May is the safer prospect and he's cleaner and we should just go with him because it's not like he can't escape. But for the most part, he's going to sit back there. He's going to throw lasers from the pocket and and, you know, there you go. Right. And you don't have to worry about the high variance stuff. But I, I tell you what, man, like when it, it, so it really just be, bears quarterback. I mean, as of right now, um, it's going to be Caleb it, Williams. I, yeah, I, I feel like as of right now, you're looking at, at Drake May as the safer prospect, but Caleb Williams is the better player. And if you've got the right coaching staff around him, I mean, which would necessitate firing Matt Eberflus and, and which and probably getting will an, happen, getting an actual coach. Um, then I think that Caleb Williams would be my pick. That's what I would do. Yeah, I, 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 I agree with you. It's like Caleb Williams. It's like, look, Drake may maybe the safer option, but Caleb Williams is like that hot commodity option. I also feel like too we're going to get a Justin Fields draft draft day trade, like kind of because you'll you'll have a team out there that's going to want him. And because let's be honest, if you do. Draft the quarterback with the first overall pick. You're not going to keep fields around. It's like the same thing with New England right now. Like we, I think McGarvin and I talked about this, or someone else I talked about this with, where 
if the Patriots draft a quarterback, Max gone by the beginning of round two. It's just there's no there's no way around it. I like to call it the Josh Rosen effect. Yeah. Well, I think I think especially in Fields' case, if if it's a top two pick for the Bears via Carolina, then I mean, you go ahead and you just trade fields whenever you don't need yeah. to trade him on draft day. You trade him before that, get what you can. Cause you know, you're taking one of those two guys, most likely, most likely. Um, at least that, that's what I would think. Um, if it's not a top two pick, then I think it's a little bit different, but it really, a lot of it depends on what fields does between now and the end of the season. In that case, I feel like based on, on, on what I think about fields, I think he's a good player. Um, but I think that he is miscast here in Chicago. It's not working out. Uh, and, and I think that he could be better used someplace else. So I think a change of scenery would be, would be better for him. I, I think it makes sense for both parties. Uh, so I think that even if fields were good, like shows improvement and, and looks like, Hey, maybe this guy could be like a, a top 15 to top 10 ish guy. You're still trading them. If you get a top 10 pick in my opinion, or a top two pick, I should say top two pick yeah yeah 100 i'm just like trying to think of like the where could he go that's just the million dollar question Atlanta. like send him home send him home that's where he's I, from he's a kennesaw georgia boy and i was and gonna I say think- the rams but atlanta with the right coaching staff because let's be honest <coughs> when, Ar- when arthur smith gets generational talents he doesn't know how to use them properly we'll just throw what that out mean? there right he's now killing it with john doing a great <laughs> job there <laughs> <laughs> I mean, basically, you need to find an offense that is like, we go deep. That's what we do. Yeah. We do play action. We chuck it deep because that's what Justin Fields does. Tampa. That That's what Justin Fields does really well. So get him in an offense like that, and you're looking good. Because I feel like people have this conception that Justin Fields isn't a pocket passer. He's just a running back. He's one of the best deep ball throwers in the NFL, like statistically. You can go look it up. The, the he's he's actually also made strides in the short game. He just has to throw the damn ball and not take sacks. That's the thing. He takes way, way too many sacks, and it kills the efficiency of, of this offense. If he would just throw the football, we might actually be thinking of him a lot differently. But you get him in a, in a situation where you're dialing up intermediate and deep shots on the regular, that, that's where he cooks. And him plus Mike Evans with a contract extension. So if you trade for him, you know, before the league year, you can probably get a chance re-signing Mike Evans as well. Just because I feel like if the quarterback situation in Tampa is not exactly solidified, I feel like he's probably going to walk elsewhere. But um, you know what? I think it's time to rip the Band-Aid off and ask the question, not only what do the New England Patriots do for the both of you, but where do you go from here and how do you finish off the season? It's a general consensus. This is my show. So I'm not allowed to say this is basically a whole episode called what the fuck new England. Well, mm-hmm. um, I've been asked this a couple of different times. I've, I've talked a couple of different times about this the last few days. This has been a long time coming. Yep. And I, I think that from the moment the 2021 season ended with that beat down against the, the the Bills and everything felt like, okay, well, at least they looks like they got themselves a young quarterback. Year two, let's develop him, all that stuff. Everything they have done since then has been wrong when it comes to developing a young quarterback. And it shows. And I, again, this is not to absolve Mac Jones completely. 
because you also have to look at the fact that the accuracy and the decision making and all the stuff that we talked about as strengths of his have not been strengths of his. Uh, he's been a liability. I feel like a lot of that is because, first of all, you wasted his second year in the league with a guy who mm -hmm. didn't, who had no business running an offense or trying to teach anybody an offense. And then, yeah, you, Julian Edelman said, like, well, yeah, basically, like, Josh McDaniels and Bill O'Brien are interchangeable. He's basically only had two offensive coordinators. It's the same system or whatever. It's like you're still thinking about you had one system. You had to unlearn that system and learn whatever the hell that was with Matt Patricia. And then you had to unlearn that again and go back to what you knew before. But things are different now. You've had this isn't your, your rookie year. It's no. the slate's not clean. Okay. And and the what's been around him has also just not improved. It's not what you do if you're if you're seriously trying to develop a rookie cornerback. And and I think that we have now seen that Bill Belichick doesn't know how to function when he doesn't have the greatest quarterback of all time just covering up the mistakes. So that, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I think it's um, it's a lot of things. I I really do think a lot of it goes back to just last year, right? Um, I know people will say, well, they didn't build around Mac because they didn't believe in Mac or what, whatever the case is there. Where it, I, I had the opposite opinion, where it felt like last year they, especially early, they I think they thought too much of Mac, right? They were like, all right, well, we can go ahead and get Devonte Parker and then run with you know Parker, Bourne, and Aguilar, and Mac can just elevate their game. And when that didn't happen, you know, obviously then he got hurt um, and all of that weirdness happened. I think looking back at last year, you had all of that with Mac and the whole offense that he was playing in. And then the whole zappy thing happened. And so it, I can understand if, you know, if, if Mac is feeling like, oh man, they don't believe in me or his confidence is shot. I see people say that all the time. I won't comment on any of that because I simply wouldn't know. I've never talked to the guy. There's no way I could know. Right. Yeah. But even beyond that, beyond just the quarterback, just the offensive situation, I think you look at what they did in last year's draft. And I, I, I could say at this point, and I mean, I, I think anyone would agree at this point, last year's draft class is a complete wash, right? Like, I mean, like you mentioned, Cole Strange is probably going to be the only one to stick around. And that's probably going to be more out of some cost than anything. I think he's been fine overall, but I don't think he's been, you know, he's lit the world on fire or anything like that. But you look at the players they got, they went out and drafted, they drafted these guys for a system that was immediately thrown out, right? You're looking at this, like <laughs> this wide zone, you know, throw it deep kind of system. So you go out, you get the fastest guy available in Taekwon, you go out, you get yourself a speed back who can just make one cut and go and, and, and Pierre strong. Um, you, you, <laughs> you go out and get a quarterback like Bailey Zappi, who, who you're not asking to break down the defense in any kind of complex way. We're looking at quick reads, throw the ball. You see it, throw the ball. Um, and so once that system gets thrown out, you bring in Bill O'Brien, who's looking for more timing base. We're looking at option routes. We're looking at good decision-making. And all of a sudden, Zappy's out. All right, cool. We're going back to a more power run style run game. All right, cool. Pierre Strong, you got to go. Also, we're, we're looking to throw short and intermediate. Taekwon, I'm sorry. There's no role for you here. And so it just you just wasted an entire draft class building for a system that lasted, I would kid you not, maybe three months because by November, they were back to running power, right? They were back to like ground and pound. We're trying to just grind out the tough kind of wins because the, the idea they had in the beginning wasn't working. We nope. saw the, the most efficient it looked, I would say, would be that Cleveland game. I mean, the, yes, the Cleveland game and the Pittsburgh game where they were kind of, you know, trying to hit that wide zone stuff. And it was kind of looking like, all right, 
growing pains, but like I can see where you're getting at here. And the minute that went belly up and they got absolutely thrashed by the Bears and they like completely did away with that kind of offense, you just look at the draft class and you're like, yeah, that's gonna that's gonna hurt because we've seen that you can afford a few bad picks. I don't think you can afford an entire bad draft class. You look back at the Patriots 2017 draft class, right? They ended up with four players, Antonio Garcia, Connor McDermott, who ended up coming back, Trey Flowers and Dietrich Wise, right? That was that, that was that four man class in 2017. They used a bunch of draft picks on other players. Dwayne Allen was, um, was, was traded for in that off season. James O'Shaughnessy was traded for in that off season. James, uh, not James Cook, Brandon Cooks was traded for in that off season. Coney Ealy was a pick swap, but you, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you, you, you basically punch it on a draft. And that's at the Patriots back to the point where in 2019, they're taking players that you're just using them to replace players that should have been here had you made those selections in 2017, right? You you think about it. You went out, you traded a first-round pick for Brandon Cooks. You traded him again in 2018. You traded him away. And now you need a top wide receiver. So you go out and you get one in Nikhil Harry, or you you attempt to get one in Nikhil Harry, and that and, doesn't and, work out. And, a, and in a very specialized kind of role, right? Yeah. It's like, oh, oh yeah, yeah. I, I want yeah. I want to go up and get it big bodied guy. How about yeah. just a good receiver guy? Like the, yeah. the guy who cares what the physical profile is, like, like you gotta have a specific guy. Like, no, get the Get the get the best. good players and figure it out afterward. Yeah, it's so frustrating. But when you, you we see that when a team decides to just punt on a draft like that or end up blowing an entire draft class, it sets them back about two years. And I think the twenty twenty two draft has the potential to do that for the Patriots because none of those players, especially on the offensive side, are going to make an or, or have made an impact or will make an impact at this point. I mean, Tyquan Thornton was active, didn't play a single snap the week prior. He played, I think it was twelve snaps and got benched after the first quarter. It's not a good situation, and it. It all stems to again. We're building to just the, the the decision, and I and I gave it so much grace because I'm like, you know what? Maybe and I've been wrong before. I'll be wrong again. So I was like, maybe maybe Bill understands it a little better than I do, and maybe Matt Patricia will be able to do something. So he comes in, and they're like, this is the offense we're going to run. And Bill's like, all right, let me go out and get the groceries for this dinner. And then midway through the meal, they're like, hey, let's order pizza. And I feel like that is that 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 is. That is the story of the 2023 Patriots, where you basically have just this draft class because the 2022 class is a complete wash. You have just this draft class to try to rebuild something you started in 2021. So it's like it's weird because it's like they took a gap year, right? They started the quote unquote rebuild in 2021. They went out and obviously they got Matt Jones and they started adding you know players there, mostly old linemen, right? And you didn't you, you don't have anything for 2022 you can look back on, and then 2023 is all still too new to know. So. I, that's what I look at. I look at 2022, the decision to bring in Matt Patricia, the decision to bring in whatever offense he wanted to bring in, and the decision to go out and draft players for that offense that didn't end up lasting. And I think, re- really quickly, I think part of the other issue here is, and I've seen this a little bit with the Chicago Bears that themselves, um, you can't have guys that that are what I call play connoisseurs, not play callers. And I think that Matt Patricia essentially was a play connoisseur. He looked at, you know, the Sean McVay kind of offense and the Kyle Shanahan kind of offense and was like, oh, let me just borrow some plays from there. And oh, yeah, I'll just like teach up the the offensive line, the blocking schemes. And it might take a little while because. You know what they say that offensive line, you know, in zone blocking schemes, it takes a while to, to get the hang up. It's like he was he was like reading a, a research paper, right? It's like reading install an NFL offense for dummies. And like that's how he ran the entire thing. But because he had no no frame of reference for how to teach that kind of offense, 
he didn't know how to answer the hard questions. And Mac Jones is the kind of guy that wants to know the answers to every question and have detailed information about, okay, if this happens, what do I do here? And what do I do if this happens? A, B, C, D, E. That's how he he played so fast as a rookie. And, and yeah, some of it is because they simplified things and they didn't make him do too much. But again, it was a lot because of that detailed style of, of, of learning that he had. And the Patriots couldn't fulfill that last year. I actually think it was maybe partly, oh yeah, we think Mac Jones did so well and he can handle this. But I also think there was a certain amount of just straight coaching arrogance on Bill Belichick's part that oh yeah, we're just going to go ahead and kind of do whatever we want. I believe in these coaches. I believe that as long as I am here and I'm running this operation that we can do whatever we want because we've been, we've been doing it for 20 years. And he found out that that was incorrect. And, and now we're going to try to you know go ahead and put the pin back in the grenade and go back to what we knew before. And there is no going back. And as you mentioned, Right now you've got a whole lot of misfit toys and then you're trying to now get specialty pieces for this offense, which I really like to Mario Douglas, you know, and, and especially as a, at a sixth round value, I'm a million percent in on that, but that is your big, <laughs> that's your big offensive <coughs> addition. A couple of sixth round receivers. That's what we're doing. And, and again, it kind of speaks to this idea of, look, everybody keeps saying we need to go out and trade for a number one wide receiver. We need to draft a number one wide receiver and we need to do this, that we never had to do that before. We just roll with Julian Edelman and like Wes Welker and Danny Amendola. What do we need all these high price pieces for? And you go and look around at the top offenses in the league and they are filled with dynamic playmakers that were taken in the first and second and like third rounds. Okay. So I think that eventually when the New England Patriots get their heads back above water, it's going to be because they put stars on the offensive side of the ball. That's not to say that DeMario Douglas can't potentially be a star, be a really good player, what have you, but you can't bargain shop anymore. Eventually you got to get some real blue chip players. Yeah, I, I completely agree with everything you just said there, because even if you go back and look at the 2021 free agency draft, free agency class, obviously John who didn't pan out, he's gone. Judon's been probably the best piece that they've gotten out of all those players there. The big thing, too, when I look at in-house right now, because, look, the Patriots obviously have a lot of money to spend this coming offseason. I think they're third or second overall in cap money. For as much as those guys have kind of not an emotional attachment, but they've been serviceable, there's a lot of those guys, I think, but I would say Bourne, Duggar, and... Owenu, besides that, I think everyone else is open season to go. That's Hunter, Henry, that's Gasecki. That's, uh, I'm trying to think of who else is a free agent going into this year, but I know there's a lot of guys, so I feel like it's just, you know what, you got to clean the cupboards bare. Just like McGarver was saying earlier about the whole, you're trying to make a meal and order pizza, but you know what, to make the correct meal, you have to have the correct ingredients. So you know what, you have to just replenish the pantry eventually, because eventually non-perishables go bad. You don't just be is. making, you just don't be making pizza with like corn and peas and stuff in it. <laughs> <laughs> or like, if, feeling, if I'm feeling adventurous, yes, but um, no, just, just, just like some tomato paste. Hey, you know what? Sometimes if you're desperate, um, the one thing too I look at with this team as well is like even with the first round pick, I saw McGarvin tweet about this recently. When it comes to the position, don't overthink it. Don't draft Joe Alt. Just go out there. If 
if they're in the Drake May position, great, because look, Chicago's probably going to end up with Caleb Williams and Marvin Harrison. That's the right way to go. Or if they want, I'm not going to pr- pronounce his name, but the, the offensive tackle for Penn State. Olu Fashanu. There we go. Kyrie said it, not me. Um, and then <laughs> and obviously Maserati Marv to quote Gus Johnson and then Drake May. But then even a guy like Michael Penix Jr. I really like. McGarvin, I brought that up with you for potential Bronco replacement. But I think now Russ is there to stay. I don't think there's any question that he's – they look like they got something going in Denver. And also, too, I want to point out my boy, Pat Sertan, locks Fondix that Monday night. Um, As he, that's yeah, what he does. Yeah, that's what he does. So, But that's the thing. You have to go get players like that. Like, even right now, we see, for example, with the Giants. I know, look, they signed up that terrible quarterback contract. But, like, with a team like that, that that's that bad, they're more better off to be in a position like with Chicago, in my opinion, where you trade back and you get a haul of draft picks for the 2025 class because who knows what's going to happen there. But with New England, I don't look at this as a quick fix to where it's like, hey, they're going to have a great free agency class this coming season. They're going to have a great draft in their back. No. Next year is kind of the thing where it's like see where it goes and then look at 25 or 26 for them to truly get their heads above water, like you said, Kyrie. Yeah, I think um, it, it really depends on on where they end up because as of right now, let's go ahead and check Tankathon. Where third. are third behind uh, Chicago via Carolina and uh, New York? Indeed. So if you ended up there, I'm not taking QB three at number three over. I don't like as of right now. I don't like any of those guys well enough to do that. Um, I would ra- I would rather honestly go either either a trade down or take or take the not not Joe Alt. I would take Olu. I think Olu's a better player. Um but I, I think that again, if you if you want to take that idea of let's get more bites at the apple, maybe there is gonna be a, a point where a team is gonna be like, Yeah, you know what? I'll trade up for like Marvin Harrison Jr. or like I'll trade up for you know a tackle or Maybe there is a quarterback I want to trade up for. Let's go ahead and do it. I think there's an argument maybe for doing that, but I I think that aside once you get past those top two quarterbacks, I'm not. I felt this way about cornerbacks last year. I'm not just taking a dude just to take him. Okay, I I don't know that any. I I really do not know that any of them are worth it. I think there's a big gap right now between <laughs> the top two and the guys after. So. I I would be very cautious about how you use that pick at the same time. It's a good opportunity, whether you want to find just a blue chip player that's going to be good for you right now, which I'm always for that. See, that's the thing. I love the idea of trading down and like, yeah, we'll get more bites at the apple. But I also kind of just love the dude that you can just put on your team and he's just going to be good and he's going to be good for like 10, 15 years. Right. So we'll we'll see where it ends up. But if you end up number three, I I feel like I I would probably I would be tempted to just take the best dude available and hope you you don't end up picking there again. And I think that when it comes to quarterbacks, I don't know that I would take like a Penix or a JJ McCarthy or whatever, but I would sniff around on some Jaden Daniels and if he at three. That's insane. No, no, no. Oh, no, oh. No. I was like, no. what is happening? <laughs> no, bro, you got to let me finish my sentence. I said I would sniff around Jaden Daniels in the second round or like late one. It depends on where he ends up. But 
he's in that next tier of quarterbacks where if you get him for a good value later, I would do that instead of taking whatever QB three at number three overall. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Cause I was going to say Jaden Daniels at three, like, yeah, that would, that would have been egregious. If they wanted to like, what do you think I am? What, what is this? If they wanted to like trade back into the first round and Jaden Daniels is still there, a la Lamar Jackson, I'd be more than okay with that. But if they're going to have pick like 34 or 35, you can wait till the Friday night and snag the, snag the Jaden Daniels. Um, there's actually a draft team. Also, one thing I want to say about New England before I ask this next question. Uh, this Sunday is great because they don't get to hurt our feelings and we just get to watch football to watch football. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, the Arizona Cardinals right now, if you are running the show, I want to ask you guys this. Do you keep Kyler Murray or do you get the best player available? Or do you, what do you do? Do you keep Kyler Murray or do you look for the next best quarterback? I think they're kind of uh, – it kind of depends on where they land. Um, I think Kyler's probably going to give them a little too much to land to either May or Williams, at which point you just take the guy, right, take the best player available. Um, if they f- somehow end up in the top two and you have an opportunity for, you know, Caleb Williams or Drake May, I think you think about it um, and see if anyone, you know, if anyone gives ponies up anything for uh, Kyler Murray because I think he'll still have a good bit of value um, heading into next year. I think we, we saw the instant spark that we all kind of forgot because he hasn't played in so long, right? We, like, you know, last time we saw him, he, he had the little scramble before tearing his ACL against the he Patriots. really good against New England. And that was it. And you're like, all right, well, that's that's the end of it. And so it feels like when players get hurt, we kind of forget about them, especially if it's yeah. on a bad team. We're like, oh, yeah, well, you know, there's going to replace him and move on. Um, and then we saw on Sunday, like, oh, you're right. Like, he can still – he can still kind of get busy and give you a little something. So I think he'll still have value heading into the year. I think it's it's firmly on where they land. Um, I don't necessarily think they will take a quarterback um, early. I just, I don't think that's, that's going to happen. I think Kyler's going to give them too much. And to that point, um, Kyrie, you mentioned that, you know, you don't know that the Patriots will be able to get a quarterback at three. I, I kind of disagree only because, if oh, the records hold, I just don't know if it's going to be a good. No, idea. I, I think they'll be able to land one of the top two in the in the top three. Um, because I think if it holds as it will, my gut early on was, oh, Giants need to take a quarterback. But that's just my opinion. I I kind of feel like they won't take a quarterback. I think if they're sitting there at two, who's taking They already contract? have. No yeah, one. they already have. You know, Daniel Jones under contract. I think it's a real possibility that it goes Caleb Williams, Marvin Harrison Jr., and then Drake May at three for whoever, you know, whichever three teams are there. I just, I, if the if the Giants are there too, I think Marvin Harrison goes there because they need they need a receiver in a in a bad way. I know they went out and they, you know, they they drafted um, Hyatt. Jalen Hyatt, but I was thinking Wondell Robinson last year. They drafted Jalen Hyatt this year. Um, it's been invisible. Yeah, it, right. They traded for Darren Waller, and, he, and now his hamstrings are broken again. Um, I, I just think they need a guy, like just a guy, and they simply don't have one. They have an offense built of slot receivers, kind of like the uh, Titans in a weird way, except New York, New York slots are faster. So uh, I think if they have the opportunity to just go out and get a guy, I can't imagine that they won't do that. And then, you know, roll with another year of Daniel Jones, because I don't believe they have an out this year. They may have one at the uh, – I think it's They may have one after that. Yeah. So I, I can absolutely see the scenario where they – if the Giants are there too, you go Marvin Harrison, don't even look back. It could be. I, I personally – and I think that this is probably where I'm at right now because I just don't like Daniel Jones at all. Um, I think that, and again, you, you absolutely have to mention the fact that they paid him that money willingly. 
cannot fathom <laughs> why they decided to do that, but they did. I would trade the hell out of Daniel Jones. So who, I don't who wants him? Yeah. I mean, and, and, and that and that's the thing. Who wants him? So they who would, wants him at that price? I think he's a he's yeah. a quarterback that you can absolutely trade on a rookie deal. He's a quarterback you can actually absolutely trade at twenty million dollars. At forty million dollars? Oh no, no, no. And, that's and not you're, gonna do. And you're ab- <laughs> you absolutely have a point. That said, people make stupid ass decisions about quarterbacks that's all fair. the time. That's fair. So, oh yeah. So you could find that- somebody to be like, you know what? Let's just rock with the Daniel Jones. And <laughs> I like, can fix him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's like, hey, he was drafted number six overall for a reason, and see if like, oh yeah, maybe we could like do some Alex Smith stuff with him and like make the playoffs every bunch a bunch of years as long as he doesn't screw things up. But I mean, no, I completely agree with you that that price tag is could very well be prohibitive. I don't care though. I would probably just take the damn quarterback anyway. And you know what? What about if if they finally decided to do this thing where we'll go ahead and actually sit the guy for a year and let him incubate and then tell Daniel Jones to get lost next year and then that kid is your starter because we can cut him finally. I don't really trust the New York Giants to do that. And Daniel Jones right now is also that meme of that one guy who says, who want me? And it says, no, 100%. You know, who want me? No cap. That's Daniel Jones right now. Like not. I'm not not letting Daniel Jones influence my quarterback plans at all. But yeah, that, but that, that, you that, that's me. Joe Shane will because that, that's my thought. I'm like, would I do it? Absolutely. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm going up there. I'm getting me a quarterback. But we know how NFL GMs give it up. Yeah. We know that they're so you know they they, they were so risk averse that they signed Daniel Jones to forty million dollars a year. I just I can't imagine that they're all of a sudden going to be like, no, you know what? Let's do the smart thing. Let's go out and get a quarterback. They're going to be like, no, we have our guy. He's okay. He was just hurt. We have our guy. Let's go get him a weapon. And then Marvin Jones is going to have you know twelve hundred yards as you know Daniel Jones leads them to you know six wins. I don't know. I mean, so- I mean, just I I so badly don't want to see Marvin Harrison Jr. have to catch passes from Daniel Jones. That would make me so sad. So can I just it's say something? I, just, I found the I contract. I found the contract right here. This is from the Athletic. So Jones's contract contains eighty-two million fully guaranteed, thirty-six million dollars signing bonus, his twenty, his twenty twenty-three and his twenty twenty-four salaries, and his twenty twenty-three and his twenty-four workout bonuses. Getting all of that eighty-two million dollars is in the first two years. So yep. you're locked into him for at least the next for well, obviously this season. You know his season's done. But you're locked into him for the next two years. So pay a crap, pay a crap ton of money for him to go do what he's gonna do, and then kick his ass out and have a yeah. r- rookie ready and waiting. I'm just, how certain I'm just, are we that Chicago takes a quarterback? Huh? I think I, I said, how certain are we that Chicago takes a quarterback? I am, as of right now, from from, uh, what? from from th- from things that I've heard, it's pretty locked in. Sick. That said. I don't I don't think that it is a hundred absolutely a hundred percent. It really depends on what ends up happening with this Carolina pick and what Justin Fields ends up doing. I, I feel I feel like Justin Fields has to do so so much to to change the minds enough to be like, oh yeah, no, he's the guy. Because think about it, you have you have to think about whether or not you're gonna pay you're gonna pay him 35, 40 million dollars. Or if you're just going to pick up his fifth-year option, which, okay, you could do that if you wanted to give him the time. But why would you if you've got a top 
to pick right there. And you know that somebody else might want him for, for a reasonable draft haul. So it, it really is just about it. If, if this were any other situation and this was just the Chicago bears pick, then you're keeping Justin Fields next year, most likely. And you're not thinking about it because I don't think they're going to be bad enough. They might be bad enough to, to get a top two pick, but when it's all said and done, but as of right now, I feel like their schedule is so meh that they're going to, they're going to play their way into more like the, like top six or something like that, or like the seventh pick. But the, the way it's shaking out is, Carolina is awful. They're terrible. I don't see them winning more than three games. And if that's going to be the case, you're going to get a number one or number two overall pick. I just don't know how you how you decide that you're not taking a quarterback unless Justin Fields goes absolutely nuclear and you're like, okay, I, I can't get rid of that. I'll I'll trade back and let somebody else take it. That like the the that is just such a long shot. I'm looking at their schedule coming up, and like obviously, look, they have Lions, Vikings, bye week, Lions, Browns, Cardinals, Falcons, Packers. So there are a chunk of games in there where I feel like they could be, they could possibly be competitive. Like I, I don't like and, them. And no, and no, Deshaun Watson now, and, and you might have Dorian Thompson Robinson playing for the Browns from here on out. That Browns defense is legit, so they might very well just eat the Bears up offensively anyway. But if you've got a rookie playing and you don't know what you're going to get from him. I don't know. I mean, there are winnable games on that schedule. There are, there are. So like, I feel like too, it's like we were saying, Carolina's mid or than mid. We know that David Tepper, cause that's, that's the big thing with this whole thing too, with NFL teams right now. And why we, I think we have to say, we have to be thankful for Robert Kraft for all these years. David Tepper's way too involved in the football organization stuff. Um, who's the other owner? I'm trying to think of too. Jimmy Haslam's another one in Cleveland. Very involved. Uh, Virginia McCaskey, she's not involved, but George obviously is. And we all know, look, there's a lot of stuff with that team beyond what's going on on the field this year. Going back to was their defensive coordinator a pedophile of child pornography, which I feel like that that went away quietly. Like, we, don't, we don't know that 100% yeah. for sure, but it's <clears throat> kind of strongly implied that there was some something untoward going on. And then, of course, uh, you know, one, one of their other coaches got fired for another HR inappropriate kind of thing, which we, we don't know as much about. And then also to the whole Arlington Heights situation and, and the belief that once Virginia does pass away, they're going to probably sell the team to someone who knows if that's Jeff Bezos or not. Um, but Chicago's like in that weird position too, because it's like, they're they, like, they're not what they once were. Like, I feel like a player I've been critical of, of what his contract was Cole Komet, but Cole Komet's looked very good this season so far. Yep. Like, I'm not saying like top tight end, but like, He's, you Cole, know, he's, he's, he's been Cole commits a, a top 10 tight end now. And I don't yeah. think I would have said that last year at all. Basically the only thing Cole commit does not do is separate from man coverage. He's never been very good at it. He's not very fast and very twitchy, but he does everything else. He doesn't yeah. drop the ball. He gets, a, he, he has a great head for getting open against zone. He's improved as a blocker. I feel like he got talked about, it's like, oh, yeah, he's big and stuff like that. He can block like a wide tight end. He wasn't a great blocker at the start of his career. He's a better he wasn't blocker. In college either. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. I was actually there at Notre Dame uh, uh, working for the South Bend Tribune when Cole was uh, in college at Notre Dame. So I got to see a lot of him. Um, but he's a, he's a much better blocker route. Just a, he's, a, he's a complete player. If he could just get away from man coverage, he could be a top five tight end. 
Yeah, because that's the thing too. And even this year, he got paid like a top ten tight end. And every, I, even I was one of the people. I don't know how many other people were like this. Where we're all like, are we sure he's really worth the money that he's getting? I believe he's like forty years, fifty million dollars, or something like that. And so far, he's proving his worth with with the Chicago Bears. So they just have to figure out the wide receiver position because look, they have some pieces. Darnell Mooney is like another player <laughs> where it's like Gabe Davis in a sense where he has his flashes. Where he'll have like a couple good games here or there, and then he has a couple games where he's kind of relatively quiet. Clil Herbert's obviously been injured, but Marvin Harrison Jr. to the Chicago Bears, no matter what. That's the thing, though. (laughs) Devontae Mack, no matter what. Marvin Harrison Jr., no matter what. I mean, Um, I mean, look, I'm just look. They could very well do it. I I again, I would not do this practically because it wouldn't make any sense. But Marvin Harrison Jr. is absolutely the kind of like he's the kind of non-quarterback prospect who's so good. That I would just take him number one overall. Correct. I mean, Holy shit! Yeah. Is that a hot take? That I, that doesn't feel like a hot take, but I think if you tweeted it, people would treat it like one. I think oh, I, oh I tweeted it. Oh I tweeted yeah! It. Did they get on you? Because like, no, that's just, a, that's just the, correct. The 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 yes. funny thing is that I think Bears fans are kind of in this interesting phase with Justin Fields, where they st- like still want. I still want to believe that that it, he, I think that it's he, over. I mean, yeah, of course, of course, he's just, it, he's just out of time. Yeah, no, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. a thousand percent. But there's that part where you kind of want to believe like, oh, yeah, maybe there's some. I do think that like there is something that Justin Fields could do. He's just not going to have enough time to do it. Um, And I don't know that he's capable of doing it at this point in his career. But there's this part of me that looks at Marvin Harrison Jr. and, And it reminds me of that old Bobby Knight quote from back in the day where somebody asked him about Michael Jordan. And he was just like, he's the best basketball player I've ever seen drafted. It was like Portland was talking about this with a number two pick. They were just like, dude, we got Clyde Drexler. We need a center. Like we like, and, and that's why they ended up taking, you know, Sam Bowie. And and they were like, yeah, we need a center. We're not <laughs> drafting Jordan at number two. And Bobby Knight was like, draft Jordan and play him at center. It's like, I'll draft Marvin Harrison Jr. and play him at quarterback. <laughs> Yeah, he's a he's a generational type prospect. There's nothing wrong with taking them at one. I think we've gotten to a weird point in the NFL timeline, the NFL draft timeline, where you're either taking a quarterback or a pass rusher at number one overall, and that's that's it. And even pass rusher even now gets looked at like, eh, you're taking a pass rusher, you take quarterback. Um, but I, it's got to be Miles Garrett. Yeah, right? I I don't know. It's there are other great players you can take one and just be okay. I know. I remember when the Chiefs took their Eric tackle, Fisher. Eric Fisher, in what was that 2012 or 2013? I think 13, it was 13. The trash draft class, which Luke Jokel going number two. Yeah, <laughs> you just look at it, it's just it's just a graveyard the whole way down. Um, but I, I, I remember people clowned that pick because they're like, "Oh, why would you take a tackle that high?" And I kind of liked the idea. I didn't like <laughs> didn't like how it turned out, but I liked the idea of like. You know, we don't necessarily need a quarterback right now. We don't have a quarterback who we think is the guy. Fuck it. Let's go get the player we think is the guy, regardless of position, go out and get him. Short of drafting a kicker or a punter or long snapper at one overall, if there are no other players that you think can provide better value, just make the pick and worry about the blowback later. I think we do a lot of this like, oh, well, we're going to take this guy because, like, people are going to be very upset if we don't. And what if, you know, what if we yeah. miss on this guy? It's like, it's like you have guy. Yeah, it's like you have to take a quarterback, do you? And, right. And, I, like, I, and, no. and we were we were having a uh, friends of mine were having a discussion about this where it's like, 
I th- and, and I mean, we, we've heard people say like Drake May is going to be like, you know, the like Nate Tice's like highest graded quarterback prospect ever because he's like so clean and hear about, oh, he's a Justin Herbert and, uh, you know, Josh Allen hybrid kind of guy. And, you know, Caleb Williams could be the next Patrick Mahomes. We hear this all the time. I, I feel like when I watch them, I think you're looking at two players who have a strong chance of being good. I don't know that I'm looking at them like, oh my God, they're both surefire Hall of Famers. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and so I feel like anytime you, you're looking at players in that kind of vein, that I'm not like, oh yeah, you absolutely have to take him. And, and if you don't, it, it's a mortal sin. So to, to me, I think that Marvin Harrison Jr. would absolutely be worth taking number one overall. It's, it's not going to happen because quarterback is so important. Everybody's got to find one and, and, and all that good stuff. But I, I just think that we, we really throw around generational too much when it comes to quarterbacks. And there really hasn't been a truly generational quarterback since Andrew Luck, I didn't even I didn't even really think of Trevor Lawrence quite that way. He was super clean in in a way that was a, approaching and maybe approximating a little bit of Andrew Luck, but he was not Andrew Luck, and he hasn't been at that level in the NFL either. No, because like if you look at Andrew Luck by his third, you're starting to catch off a garbage. He was in the conference finals. Did he get his ass kicked? Yes, but Andrew Luck's gonna go. He was one of the last generational player, but he's also, in my opinion, one of the biggest what ifs in NFL history. Oh yeah. What if he had a GM that wasn't fucking crazy? Um, yeah. I, <laughs> all that said, I, I do like Drake May, and I did tweet out that I thought that you know if you are in a, in a range to get him, you go out and get him, um, mm-hmm. and don't overthink it as far as quarterbacks go. Yep. Um, and I think that's very. For me, very specific to the fact that I just don't believe in anything the Patriots have cooking in that quarterback room, right? Like, yeah. I I tweeted out as well, like, you know, send me Will Greer. And some people were like, whoa, do you think Will Greer can play? And I'm like, no, but <laughs> if you're, if you're, if you don't think Matt can do it, I don't want to see baby. Bailey Zappi. Uh, fuck it. Give me, give me Greer because I, I, I refuse. It's either you give me Matt or you give me Greer. Do not give me Bailey Zappi. If you feel like Matt, give me Malik Cunningham. Get, give me give me Malik Cunningham. Give me someone who's not going to bore me to fucking tears, and number four will fucking do that. So I'm like, look, I just don't believe in anything they have going in their quarterback room at that point. Wait, wait, Go wait. Out wait. And fix it. So don't throw a face that... spike into triple coverage. Got it. Holy shit. I mean, that quadruple, that quadruple coverage. I was going to say, you thought you thought that was boring? Because I thought that, yes. shit, oh, my I thought that shit was hilarious. You know why it was boring? I saw, I saw, that, I saw that play, and... I literally like I fell to the floor laughing, like cackling, like a falsetto laugh, like the kind of laugh. Like I, I'm, I'm surprised <laughs> at myself. I'm like on the floor, and my wife is like, "Bro, what is like, like basically, like what's wrong? Like why are you acting like that?" And I'm just like, "Look at this pic," and I like yeah. showing her the phone. It's it. You know why it was boring? It was boring because it was so inevitable. It was. It's like when you know that the butler did it. You're watching a movie and you know the butler did it. So like all the twists and turns can be great, but like. You know, at the end, they're going to be like, oh, it was Jeeves. And you're going to be like, ah, oh, fucking do it. Oh, no, um, I, I, with- I, tweeted, I tweeted it. Or actually, no, I didn't tweet it out. I said it in a group chat, and then I screenshotted it and then tweeted it out to show everybody that I called it. Somebody was like, because my, my Bears fan friends so desperately want the Patriots to win <laughs> games so that they can get out of the way of yeah, the so Carolina Panthers. Sure. That they can be absolutely <laughs> dead sure that, that the Carolina Panthers are going to get that you know top two pick. And there's like, oh yeah, well, what if 
uh, the Patriots, you know, what if Zappy comes in and wins the game? And I'm like, it's like 99% more likely he's going to throw a free. <laughs> right. He's going to throw a game ending interception. And look what he did. That's what yeah. Um, if you guys thought last week's great game was great, are you ready for Northern, Northwestern Iowa part two next Sunday at MetLife Stadium in New Jersey? Where, where we go down and play the Giants? Yeah, Tommy DeVito versus to be announced, but probably Mac until he does something stupid, which I want to make a point about him. But he, when Bill O'Brien was laying into him, that's where I gave up on him because he looked like, do you guys remember when you were kids and your parents would like just be like, shout your name and like right away you knew like some shit was coming, like a, yeah. a like a storm of just verbal abuse was about to come your way or worse yeah. when your parents are just chastising you and you just have to sit there and take it that's what mac did in that game yeah. where it's just like why'd you do this why'd you do this and then you're just like like you're sitting there quietly like a puppy dog shriveled up in the corner where the like, only correct answer is i did this because i'm a dumbass like when you're getting that kind of trouble where you're like you have no excuse you're just like why'd you do this and you're like but eh, dumbass what do you mean like or your parents or your parents just go oh you don't explain yourself just say okay and it's like just yeah. say okay that's what that's what it was. Yeah, what are you supposed what are you supposed to say? Yeah, like, it's like yeah. he knew he shouldn't have thrown that. The thing with, with Mac is it's so funny because I was called a Mac hater the other day, which is really funny because prior to that prior to that, I'd only ever been called a Mac stand. Neither is true. And it's just one of those things where it's like I'm seeing him make the mistakes that we were told he wouldn't make, right? He's yeah. not gonna lose you the game. Kyrie mentioned it earlier that you know his this decision making is supposed to be there, his poise in the pocket is supposed to be there, and he's supposed to just keep you on schedule. And so when you see him making mistakes like he did in the Dallas game, where he's just throwing that bitch up and you're like, Why why? He's right, the defender is right there, or he's like throwing cross across his body, and you're just like these are the things we were told you don't do, right? Like, Zach Wilson does this. You do not do this. So when he started doing that, and I'm like, okay, and, cool. And, and you cannot, with hope, do that. Because, yes, when, like, you, because when you oh, do it, it's definitely getting Yes, and someone is going to house it, and they house it every time. So it was just so frustrating with them with that. And then you're watching, and you're just like, cool, that's independent of everything else, right? We can say, oh, they haven't given him a good O-line. Oh, they haven't given him the good receivers and all that. Yeah, 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 sure. But when the O-line gives him protection and he's he's ducking pressure that's not there or the receivers have separation and he's throwing a duck in the coverage, you're just like, that's on you, friend. Like, you can blame you can blame Bill. You can blame the, the roster construction. And we, we, we can all agree it has not been very good. At the same time, your individual mistakes are what my issue with you is. It's what cost them the game against Miami. Like, if you think about it, like, the Miami game... The, picks, cost uh, the pick to, to Ramsey. Jalen Ramsey? Yep. Yes. And then even the Vegas game, too, the one where he just Holy heaped shit. it up, where it was just like... This guy's a wizard. Okay, you guys are ahead of me. Holy so shit! Oh, bull, that is... Mm. Sorry, sorry. No, I'm sorry. watching Prime Vision. <laughs> he faked me out. I, I, did, I, did, I did not oh realize my. that he hadn't thrown the ball. Yo, okay, okay. How oh, long and he, long? Wasn't, in, uh, wasn't, he wasn't even in bounds. <laughs> 10 seconds? He, he, had, he had it more than 10 seconds. Holy cow. And Mike Hilton's hurt. Um, before we end today, I have two more things I want to go over with you guys. One is, is there a team so far this year that surprised you in a good way and surprised you in a bad way, obviously excluding New England? Oh, well, I know I know who my good one is going to be. Garvin, you go first. All right. This team that surprised me in a good way, um, the Browns. I think the Browns are um, – 
pleasantly competent in a in a really good way. And I think um, their defense is a lot better than I than I thought they'd be. Uh, just because they didn't really add any like elite players to the defense, so you're like, all right, they're probably going to be as good as they were last year. Um, and everyone just took a you know took a huge step. You have Martin Emerson who's who's playing good corner for them. Um, I always thought Greg Newsom was really good. I know that his, his rookie year, people were kind of shitting on him, like, oh, he wasn't really worth the first round pick, huh? Did he turn his ACL in his rookie year? Yeah, but prior prior to his injury, he 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 played pretty good ball. He was always in position, and he had a few catches go the wrong way, right? Like just 50-50 yeah. balls that went the other way, and they're like, oh, this guy kind of bites. Um, he's a good player, though. I, I think they have been a really nice surprise. Um, what hasn't been surprising, though, is that Deshaun Watson is absolutely cooked. He's 28 years old. He's absolutely cooked, and everyone is just pretending like, oh, maybe he'll get back to it. And it's like, eh, not really. The team that has surprised me in a bad way, I would say, is Pittsburgh. And I know that's weird because they're, what, 6-3? and three? And so it's like, oh, how could they surprise you in a bad way? Um, the surprise, eventually. the side, the, yes, exactly. The, the the surprise there is that um, their offense is actually not very good, right? They're they're another team that's kind of getting by on defense, and they're kind of making it happen as they do. Kenny Pickett has taken a step back. I know that um, I liked him last year, and a lot of people were like, eh. and I'm like, nah, he's like, he, he gives you the nice building block, and like, if he just takes a step forward in his development, he'll be great. And he kind of took a step back. And I have one. I have another one. I have another one. I'm going to cheat here and give you a second one. Jacksonville is another team that has disappointed me. I know they're winning games. They're leading their division. Uh, Trevor Lawrence does not look that to have taken a step. He look, looks like he looked early last year before getting hot down the stretch. I don't love that team. No, I don't either. I think my team that I am that I love right now, actually, what they've done, Houston. C.J. Stroud. Oh, yeah. I believed in, I believed in C.J. Stroud. I I was not he, I was not here for none of the S two test nonsense, and I and I I swore by it. It was a little inconsistent the tape in in his last year of college at times. Sometimes it was awesome, other times it was like CJ, what are you doing, my guy? But that game that he played against Georgia was the best quarterback game anybody played in college football that year. Not even close to me, and I knew then. That this was that this was a dude who was probably most likely to succeed of the, of the the top two guys in that draft. If you were going to go to a bad team, and lo and behold, Houston is is not only not a bad team, they're a they're right now somehow a playoff contender, and a lot of it is because of C.J. Stroud. But I also think that just the edge that D'Amico Ryan's has brought to that defense also they punch you in the mouth i mean there you really you you we love to talk I, I love to talk analytics i love to get into to x's and o's and stretch but there's just something about buy-in and houston is bought in completely to everything D'Amico ryan's is about cj stroud i think they've melded that offense perfectly to what he did in college and that's the thing that becomes so difficult with rookies is they're coming in and they're learning a new offense not to say he isn't learning any new things but they're learning a different offense and a coach is trying to make you fit their scheme. Whereas they were like, how about we work together on this? And the, and the results have been unbelievable for CJ. Yeah. He, he basically fast forwarded their, uh, their timeline. Oh, he, yeah. I think he, he pushed them up a, uh, a year. Cause I, I thought they would be also, I, I thought he would be good individually. I thought the team around him wouldn't be good enough, uh, especially that O-line. And then they just like, yeah, it doesn't matter. We're just going to make it happen. We're going to ball out. We're going to stay in every game, and then we're going to win it. At the, win it in the end, and it's like sick. So he, I think he kind of fast forwarded their clock, and I can't wait to see what he does next year. Yep, I uh, think. 
one other thing I'll point I want to make on Houston too. Sorry to cut you off, Kyrie. Is if they make the playoffs, I think D'Amico Ryan's wins head coach of the coach of the year hands down. I know a lot of people were going there saying, "Oh, Dan Campbell." Detroit was expected to be where they are, so D'Amico Ryan's in my opinion right now is coach of the year in the NFL. It's like they were the number <laughs> number two overall pick last year. That was a bad yeah. team. That was a really terrible team. Um, and I think the team that's disappointed me is the Bills. I mean, we've talked about them. This this should be a team that should be the class of the division. And they, they have stagnated themselves out of the playoff picture at the moment. Yeah. Uh, mine, because mine, my surprise team in a good way was Houston, but I'm going to go with a different one. I'm going to go with Seattle Seahawks. I know they're not exactly leading their division right now, but I was anticipating a step back, especially considering how Geno's play really took a hit last year around December and then January into the playoffs as well. But he's managed to play really good football. They're a team that's right now, look, they have their good weeks and their bad weeks, but they'll probably be a playoff team at the end of the day too in the NFC. Um, And also they have their weapons and the defense too, the same thing. They're one of those teams where we were talking about this earlier, how, look, after they lost to the Patriots in the way they did, they just, you know, had the clean house. Eventually, the Legion of Boom all went. They got new guys in, and they just keep getting all these guys that can play good football. Kenneth Walker's a great running back. The wide receivers, too. Even Jackson Smith and Jigba. I still feel like it might take him another year or two, but he's going to be a good receiver in the NFL. Um, and he's also, too, uh, Parkinson, a tight end as well. That, or, wait, no, not, is that no, Parkinson? Yeah, Kobe Parkinson. Kobe Parkinson as well has been a very nice surprise for them. So they just got to keep doing what they're doing, and I think feel like Pete Carroll will still be there for a few more years. Um, my disappointing team, honestly, and Kyrie's probably not going to like this, is the Green Bay Packers, just because I know, look, rival with Chicago. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> look, because this is a team where it's just like, yeah, you just move on to the next one. But we're quickly learning that, okay, yeah, for as bad as last year was, we're seeing right now that that Jordan Love pick was not the right pick to make. And even though you frazzled and, for some reason, Brandon Ayuk was your guy, because imagine if Brandon Ayuk with Aaron Rodgers, especially in 2020 or 2021, that's one of the best teams in the NFL. So Green Bay this year, they're in a real pickle because it's like, what do you do going forward? Because you can't just go in next year and take another swing on a quarterback. You have a lot to do if you're the Green Bay Packers. Because when you look at that division right now, Chicago kind of figured out what they are. Detroit's good. I want to still wait and see on Detroit just because, look, obviously you're judged on now what you do in January. And Minnesota, too, is another team that's been a very nice surprise because, look, Kirk Cousins goes down. All of a sudden, they're making it work with Josh Dobbs, which – I know Josh Dobbs looked bad in Arizona, but with Josh Dobbs, it's kind of like going from like, you know, uh, fancy, uh, shitty, like, uh, let's just say like a Honda Civic or something like that, where it's like beat up and not working. And then all of a sudden it's like, you give him a sports car and you're like, holy crap, this guy can actually drive. So it's just what's around him. Like you, he's just making it look good. And this Sunday's game too, three weeks ago was a yawn game to now Sunday night football is a, holy crap, this is actually a pretty interesting game. It's Minnesota-Denver, right? Yes, sir. That's going to be a good game. Yeah, I I think um, Minnesota's a really good pick, actually. I thought their defense would be absolutely atrocious, but Brian Flores is making it happen because they don't have the personnel on the defense, right? Like, you have, obviously, Daniil Hunter, um, and the the D-line looks good. As far as their corners go, I'm like, I don't think they have the corners to be like, you know, competitive like that. But they're they're making it happen. I like I like them. I think they're um, because a scrappy the, team. It's like they're just gonna blitz all oh, yeah. night. And, <laughs> oh, and, and, yeah. that, and that's the thing. If you can if you can generate enough pressure <clears throat> to where they can't pick out the one on one matchups and can't take advantage of them, well then you're fine, right? And and I think that's that's the thing that frustrates me a bit about say the Chicago bears because they were too 
happy to sit back and allow teams to just pick apart their basic cover two. And now all of a sudden they're like, okay, let's throw in some well-timed blitzes here and there. But when you don't have the personnel to rush the passer, you got to find some ways to generate pressure and not just be like, well, I hope the quarterback makes a mistake at some point. <laughs> it's like, no, um, they can all pick apart basic, you know, spot drop cover too, where you just know where everybody is supposed to be. Um, and, and obviously when you, when you live by the blitz, you can die by it. But that's where Brian Flores comes in handy because he'll put eight guys at the line of scrimmage. You might only get six coming, but one of them's going to get home and the other ones might be dropping into just where you thought you were going to get a throw off. So I, I think I think that like showing the engage eight is just he's a sicko. Yeah, he did it in Miami to, to great effect. I know that, you know, Dolphin fans soured on him really quickly, but I, I thought that was probably their their best style of defense for the personnel they had down there. I, I know what they're doing now, you know, with the big Fangio defense and everyone's like really praising it. And I think that really a lot of it is just going on name, name value with Vic Fangio. But I, I thought I liked the Brian Flores defense a little better. I think it was more aggressive, more attacking. Um, and given, given the personnel they had there, it really worked for them. So it's nice to see it working for Minnesota. And you're just, I look and I'm just like, thank God he's no longer in Miami because holy shit, that would have been tough. Because imagine, imagine you're you're sending pressure, you're sending seven, eight, and on the back end you have, you know, you have X, you have Cater Co, who I, who I think is a really good quarter anyway. You have Javon Holland back there. You have Jalen Ramsey. It's going to be real tough to throw it over them. So I'm glad he's out of the division. I'm glad he's doing what he's doing in Minnesota. Chicago is interesting, though. I think they're a second pass rusher away from being a defense that I think is going to be legit. I like their corners a lot, right? You have um, yeah. Jalen Johnson, who's – yeah, very good corner and it, it took a little bit for everyone to kind of catch on this year was the first year that i heard him mentioned as one of the best corners when i thought last year he played uh he, he played pretty well um they had the the two the two rookies they uh drafted last year then they have tyreek stevenson who they added this year yeah kyler gordon was the other one yeah i think kyler, they, kyler gordon is starting to he's a baller he <laughs> is a baller and he was a baller he was going to be a baller from day one anyone who watched him in college was like all right this guy's gonna be really good um, and because he wasn't on day one, everyone's like, eh, yeah. And because Chicago as a whole wasn't a great team. I, I really wanted – He's a baller. I thought I thought Kyler Gordon, if there was going to be when, – when they didn't – when the Patriots didn't take a corner in the first round, I was like, wonder if they think they might get Kyler Gordon in the second. And maybe that that's why they didn't do it. And I was watching and watching and watching, and he it's went to the Bears. Line. And I'm just like, okay, well, I like this for the Bears, but – Damn, I was kind of hoping that he was going to be here for the Patriots. And and again, he's just is like, well, he's he's more of a nickel corner or, or whatever. But it's like he again, he's just a little freaking gremlin out there. He he loves doing the dirty work. Like he loves getting down there and just like punking people in the run game, yep. being physical. I just yes, yes, more of it. Yep, he's a good he's a good player. They're they're a pass rusher away. I really do think that. I feel like next year is going to be the year that like Chicago's going to turn the corner to where I'm not saying they're going to be a playoff team, but they're going to be that team that's uh, picking outside of the top 10. They're picking, you know, in like that 11 to 16 range next year, winning probably six or seven football games, which I thought like what was going to happen this year, but it still remains to be seen if they do that or not. Um, but before we go, obviously, look, Kyrie, you have some games you have to pay attention to this weekend, but for McGarvin and I, it's kind of a free weekend. So, is there any games you guys really have to <coughs> in your calendar? Obviously, Monday night excluding because Monday night's going to be a good game. But for the Sunday games, is there any game that really sticks out to you that you're looking forward to watching? Um, so I'm sorry, I'm I'm kind of wrapped up in this game right now because 
uh, Keaton Mitchell is getting early fourth quarter carries for the Baltimore Ravens. This is really intriguing. Like Baltimore really I, likes I, to cycle in their their running backs. I I knew they wanted to give him some more work, but I'm a little surprised that you know it's not like Gus Edwards or something like that. Um, I I'm mildly intrigued by say um, the the Cardinals and the Texans because I think that the Cardinals aren't necessarily a good team, but with Kyler back, for him to play the way that he did after not playing for an entire year. And, and to just immediately bust that out, that was awesome. And that's why you pay him that damn money. I kept on hearing about everybody talking about, well, he doesn't deserve that money. I wouldn't pay him that. That's why you pay him that money, because he can do stuff like that. And so, and, and then again, seeing CJ Stroud continue to grow and progress. And I think that's a, both of those teams are, scrappy underdog types that are are gonna go blow for blow with you and they're gonna do the old dan campbell bite your kneecaps off etc etc like i don't know i i feel like that's fun to watch and then of course i mean like who's not gonna watch eagles chiefs that's actually on my birthday Ooh, happy early birthday happy, yeah happy early birthday that's gonna be you're gonna get a hell of a game on that i hope um, so don't disappoint me well, you know, this game was supposed to be a hell of a game, and it has been disappointing. It's interesting because I think yeah, this slate injuries, overall, you know? it's it's actually so mid. Just looking at the schedule, you're just like, yeah. ah, what game am I like really hoping? Like, oh, I hope this is on. Um, Cleveland Pitt is probably the one that I was looking forward to the most, and then Deshaun Watson is going to be out. So now I think it'll be Grizzly because I think that Pittsburgh's defense can make life a living hell for, you know, DTR. Um, but I think on the flip side – so will you know? So will Cleveland's defense for Kenny Pickett, and so I think that'll be just a defensive struggle kind of game. And I kind of like those because I'm a sicko. Um, <laughs> so I kind of like when like, all right, cool. The defense is our clear advantage here. Let's see who can fuck up less and win. Um, and then there's Rams. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm into it. I'm into it. Um, Rams Seahawks. Rams Seahawks is another one where I I am kind of looking forward to it, but only because like. I'm thinking there's no way the Rams can disappoint me this many times in one season. Whereas, like, every game they have a marquee matchup, I'm like, oh, this game's going to fuck. And then the game comes on, and you're like, this game sucks. <laughs> like, what, what is happening? I thought they, I thought the, the Pittsburgh game would have been a better game, and that game sucked. And I was like, damn, like, the, I Rams, just, the Rams can't be this boring. Yeah, well, it's like, I think you're going to get Matthew Stafford back, I think, in, in theory. So hopefully that'll have a similar a fact of not making it quite as boring. Um, I think that they, I don't know. There's like a savage thing about me where it's like, I, I just, okay. I was willing to give Kenny Pickett a chance, um, you know, coming out of college because I felt I, I was, it frustrated me that people were just actively dumping on the 2022 quarterback pat like class that bad. Or it's like, none of these guys can play and they're all terrible. And I'm like, Oh, no, let, let's let's see. Let's see what they what they actually are here. Um, and then I'm looking at Kenny Pickett that first year, and I'm just like, you're not good. You're not good. <laughs> but but damn it, if you don't make that like one throw at the end of the yep. game that makes everybody think you're good because your team won. And that's what he's doing this year. He's literally like the second least efficient quarterback in football. Like in terms of like EPA per play, like in, in in like the composite with like completion percentage over expect he's he's literally horrible. He's a terrible quarterback, but he's a terrible quarterback for like 
58 minutes. The last two minutes. <laughs> them last two minutes. He's going to do so. He's going to get oh, the ball to Pickens, and, and they're going to make Kenny it happen. Clutch. Yeah, it's like, it's like, hey, Randy, Randy. It's like, yeah, okay, I know that you were sliding the protection and all that, but I like to think that you were just like, screw it, George down there somewhere. <laughs> um, we do not apologize here at YWC Football Talk for the December 7th primetime game against the Patriots and the Steelers. Kenny Pickett, Matt Jones, it's going to be a doozy. Um, <laughs> yeah, oh, good Lord, yes. Um, one game I'm weirdly excited for, or not excited, but interested to see what happens, is Miami versus Las Vegas. Because Las Vegas has had... You know, a couple good weeks with Antonio Pierce, but you have a Miami team coming off a thing here, so I'm going to make a, a bold prediction about this game. Uh-oh. Tyreek Hill is going to take someone's soul on Sunday, and it's going to be horrendous. Um, he's because oh. look, if you look at if you look at Vegas, well, though, here's the thing. <laughs> you don't, no, like I mean, you like if you look at the Vegas defense, like the front seven's been playing better, but who who back who's in their secondary that's really going to lock down Jack Tyreek? Jones? Oh. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you talk about Jack Jones locking, you know, something up. It was almost himself. Um, yeah. That Raiders and, defense is that, – that secondary is so trash. I like Ja'Cory and Bennett. I, I just, he's not there yet. Yeah. And then uh, Bills and Jets, just because it's a battle of whoever loses, it's just like, look, your season's probably cooked. Because for New York, we know they're bad. But for Buffalo – after they play the Jets, their next three games are difficult. They have to go to Philly, where Philly's wearing the Kelly Greens, and I'm sorry, Philly ain't losing in the Kelly Greens. Then they have their bye. Then they go to Kansas City to play the Chiefs and Arrowhead. And then the Dallas Cowboys come to your town. So, Oh, and then they go to the Chargers as well. So for Buffalo, this game yeah, is Chargers easy. game is easy. No, but you know what I mean. I That's a team I don't believe in. I should have, I should have said then. I don't Ooh. believe in the Chargers. I'm sorry. If you want a mid-off, go watch uh, Packers and Chargers on Sunday. Ooh, yeah, can't wait for that. Yeah, but no, I'm only saying Bills and Jets just because of the Jet with the Bills. I'm just saying, like, I, I feel like the that's a game with the way the Bills have been playing that I could see them losing to the Chargers because, look, that's just that's just what's going to happen. But at the end of the day, that Bills-Jets game, like I said, whoever loses, it's more of a battle for us where we're just going to look at it and go, eh, you lost, you suck, just move on with your life. Even though I feel like the Jets at this point, I was always convinced, yeah, they're going to keep Robert Sala, they're going to do this. Now I think, look, I – pretty sure there's a chance that him and Joe Douglas are gone because look, if you think Bill Belichick's drafted on whiffed on some draft classes, Douglas in I would say 2020, 2021, and 2023 have all been big whoops by by him. Besides 22, where he <coughs> is three first round picks, it's not looking too good. Because I do think Mackay Beckton does leave in the offseason for big money. Just because someone will give it to him, not because he's worth it. Yeah, not enough quality tackles in the league. So someone's gonna pay him. Mm-hmm. Why do I have a feeling it might be New England? Just because I feel like he fits them. I could see it. I can see yeah. it. Well, you know what it is? The Patriots will sign any division rival that has shit on them, and Makai Becton hasn't done that. They've they've beaten them pretty routinely, so I don't I don't know. Could be fun. Yeah. Um, and then with the Jets, do we actually think Aaron Rodgers is coming back, or do we think he's just sending out smoke signals to be funny? I I think he thinks he's coming back. I don't I think, think he actually will. Yeah, I I'm I'm sure he thinks he's coming back because I mean the irrational confidence that one must have to be Aaron Rodgers. Um, however, I think that especially if this season continues to not go that well, he they're not going to let him come back. Why would they? 39 years old. Don't, don't, don't waste your time coming back in a season where you're definitely not making the playoffs. Like you alone are not going to make this happen, but he's probably going to be like, yes, I can. 
We're all gonna be like, uh, no, you're not. Um, and then I did my research on this matter. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. He, I I just think we've seen younger younger players come back from the same injury, um, in in a full you know a full a full year and not look the same. I can't imagine that a 39 year old quarterback is going to come back from an Achilles injury, an Achilles tear in September, and light it up in December to where it matters. So I think he. He thinks he'll come back. I don't. I mean, even if he does like return and they like open his practice window and they activate him, I just don't know that he'll return effectively. Kind of like Cam Akers when remember when he you know he came back for the yeah. Super Bowl and everyone's like, oh my gosh, just watch him in the playoff runs and he and he was absolutely terrible in the playoffs and I was like, well yeah, he tore his Achilles like eight months ago. It's not yet that it, there's a reason the timeline is what the timeline is. Yes, a hundred percent. But you know what? And then week 18 is going to be Mac Jones versus Zach Wilson in their last respective games. Oh, stop. Stop. I'm just saying, I'm throwing it out into the universe. And the whole game is going to be. Yeah. The only thing I will say about the the Buffalo Bills right now, and I'm realizing this, as their next three games are all going to be in the CBS 425 window. And we have to listen to Tony Romo effectively. Uh. I don't know fiddle himself to Josh Allen playing because that's what Tony Romo does. We have Tony Romo and Josh Allen. You have Chris Collinsworth and Patrick Mahomes, where I saw the other day. Um, so, you know, there's that story about the lucky underwear of Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, I saw that. I, yeah. Someone took the scene from White Chicks and then they just put Chris Collinsworth where the one cop was sniffing the underwear. It's just like, <laughs> yeah. Well, I just saw that. I'm like, yeah, because Chris Collinsworth would do that thing because he's weird like that. Like, I gave up on that with first second when he's like in the game against Detroit this year where he was just like, we're going to find out who Patrick Mahomes is, and we're like, bro, we know who Patrick Mahomes is. Yes. So that's that. But anyway, guys, Kyrie McGarvin, it was a blast having the both of you on, guys. We'll definitely have to run it back sometime in the near, fe- in the near, near future. But, uh, guys, enjoy it. Enjoy the rest of the game, Kyrie McGarvin, you too. And, guys, like I said earlier, the Patriots can't hurt us this weekend. So we'll have to wait and see what happens. But all we can hope for now is a good draft pick. Anyway, guys, 262 in the books. Have a good night, gentlemen. See you. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com. Do, did, Will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network.